I'm starting to think that movies don't have a great opinion of doctors. Yeah, I don't... Even movies where doctors are the main main characters. Well, yeah. I guess in both of these movies they Those are. doctors need to learn lessons. They do. Before they cut into people. Yeah. Or find out what's after death. <laughs> but I feel like that goes back to, like, Frankenstein... Like, since the beginning, right. doctors have been trying to do stuff above their pay grade, like bring people back to life, stop Michael Myers. Yeah, they're always messing around where they shouldn't be messing, and it usually doesn't end well for them or the people around them. Do you think doctors get what they deserve in movies and stories? Hmm. Well, I mean... Are you a doctor hater? I'm not a big fan of doctors myself. I had a doctor once tell me that I was so dangerously skinny and underweight, which I'm not. I mean, I'm skinny, but I'm not dangerously skinny. But he told me once that I was so dangerously skinny that I needed to start putting on weight ASAP. And he said, that means you got to do anything like going to eat at fast food and, you know, eating right before bed. And I just raised my hand right in the doctor's office. And I was like, I'm sorry. Are you telling me to eat junk food? <laughs> like That sounds like a fast ticket to blood pressure problems. Yeah. He was like, well, he started backpedaling. Well, uh, uh, you know, uh, I was like, all right, I don't think I'm ever coming back here again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel but I like didn't that's kill fair. him. You, I didn't kill him. You so, didn't decide no. to kill him. Right. No. I let him live. I let him learn a lesson. That one. Right. That one. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't really have a high opinion of doctors either. I I also feel like the medical community in general is not very considerate of women. <laughs> like women's health is kind yeah. of a, a a really fraught area <laughs> of med- <Right>. medicine. Uh, and then also. Um, I feel like both of these movies, oddly enough, were not very kind to their female characters. Neither yeah. to lady doctors or ladies with doctors. Yeah, uh, the women in both of these movies just kind of get thrown to the side. Either thrown to the side or literally just thrown into peril for right. no no reason. But um, yeah, shall we get into it? Yeah, of course. All right. What is it we do? This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett. I'm a horror fan. And together we watch one horror movie per week picked by Brett, Chef Special, and me, Blue Blue Plate Special. I choose the rom-com. And then we like to mix things up. We like to turn that rom-com into a horror and then we turn that horror into a rom-com and see what we come up with yeah it's a lot of fun i think it is yeah i love doing those remixes i do like the remixes and i i feel like i'm really pleasantly surprised when 
I think there are times when you've done a pretty good rom-com remix as not someone who is traditionally a fan of the genre. Yeah, I guess those rom-coms are so... The template is so ingrained into my brain just from the few that I've seen. Yeah, you, that, you, um, yeah. you have a good grasp of the genre in the way that I feel like is responsible and not like... Like, right. like you're not a cynical story writer. <laughs> right. It was hard to not to... I tried to keep an open mind with the great... Sedu- or what's it called? The great seduction? Is yeah. The grand seduction. Or in the original French-Canadian try to... La grande seduction. La grande seduction. Um, I tried to keep an open mind so much. In this movie, I mean, it's not bad, but I was like, ugh. Oh, man. <laughs> it, it was really strange. Like... Okay, here I'll I'll explain my motivation. For yeah, have you this seen movie. it before? No, this okay. is my first time seeing it. Now, so you didn't know it wasn't a rom com. <laughs> well, okay, I'm actually going to argue that it still is it's a, a rom com. A rom com. It well the the central relationship that's really at stake here is not between any. It's really between Brendan Gleeson's character mm-hmm. Murray. And Taylor Kitsch's character, Dr. Paul Lewis. But the entire plot, like the impetus for the plot is for Brendan Gleeson, for Murray to get his wife back. And okay. I mean, yeah, so okay. I, I actually feel like the the marketing or, or the way this movie was described kind of buried the lead, right. which is it was never about a romance with Dr. Paul Lewis. It was always about um, Murray getting his wife back. Right. Which I would argue it's still a romantic comedy because there's sex in it. There's There's not any sex in it. There is. No. There's two scenes with sex noises. There's two scenes with sex noises where multiple couples are having sex, joyful, joyful sex at the same time. And then also we see very briefly Brendan Gleeson about to get down on on his wife. Um, So I, I do think that... I would say that if I were to talk to somebody like another romance fan about this movie, I would say that um, the romance element is light compared to the comedy, but it's there and it's a romance type that you don't actually see in movies hardly at all, which is in Romancelandia, they refer to it as a seasoned romance, which Ooh. means romance for old people. Yeah. So, this whole movie is for old people. <laughs> this whole movie is... Do you think your parents would like this movie? No. No, no, no. <laughs> my parents aren't that old. Not They're yet. Not old. I think my parents would like this movie. Or my mom. Right. Would, my my 72-year-old mom would like this movie. Yeah. For sure. It does have a little bit of hockey in it, just for like... Hockey? For like 10, 15 seconds, it has hockey in it. So maybe my dad might like it. Uh, just for that 15 seconds? Just for seconds. that 15 seconds. <laughs> um, but yeah, a seasoned romance is, you know, a, any kind of romantic plot between people that are older than, you know, adult age. Sure. And I feel like it is something that we should see more. And maybe they really tried to bank on the Taylor Kitsch factor when they should have been leaning on the fact that it was about 
him reconnecting with his wife yeah and how in order for people to succeed in their personal relationships they need to have dignity both in the personal sphere and in work as well to feel like a complete human being but yeah let's let's go ahead and we can start there since we're we're already talking about it you want to give us the breakdown the summary of this movie oh i can't wait (laughs) Uh, The Grand Seduction. Uh, So this movie opens up with us getting a glimpse of Ticklehead, which is a quaint little fishing harbor through the eyes of young Little Murray. Little Murray watches as his dad goes off to make a living fishing every day, then then comes home to have sex with his wife. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's getting down because they had a good day of fishing. Right. That's... That's gross. (laughs) Uh... I'm just thinking of like slimy, scaly, wet fish hands. You don't think not... they wash their hands before no, they go back home and bed their wives? <laughs> no, because they're real men. This whole <laughs> movie is about real men. Uh, but then we flash forward to the future and things aren't going so well for adult Murray, seeing as there's no more money uh, fishing in the harbor. Murray visits with the mayor, who informs him that the oil company that may or may not build a new plant in the harbor requires the town to have a resident doctor. Murray goes out for a few drinks, and while stumbling home, he catches the mayor leaving town with his family. In the middle of the night, like yeah. some kind of criminal. No, yeah, he, he does not want to have any responsibility for this town, so he books it while no one's watching. Um... So then we cut to the big city, and Dr. Paul Lewis is at the airport making a connection. However, he gets pulled aside by customs, and the customs agent finds cocaine mixed in with the doctor's belongings. And the custom agent is the mayor! Whoa! Yeah, that's and who is the customs agent? Ticklehead's old mayor. Looks like our small town has found its doctor. Uh, so, all right. Uh, so that's fine. Like, it's fine. The coincidental nature-ness of this and, like, getting the doctor into the town is really outlandish and silly and not realistic. But I'm like, all right, I'm on board. I mean, that's just classic rom-com cosmology. Right. So I'm on board. I want to see Taylor Kitsch get involved in some hijinks. So, yeah. Uh, Murray's wife, as you mentioned, uh, she leaves the harbor for the big city so she can go work a factory job. Murray convinces the town to go out of their way to seduce the doctor. This means, there's a whole bunch of stuff we got to go through, all right? We got to, this means playing cricket, which is the doctor's favorite sport. Wait, where is Dr. Paul Lewis from? Do they ever mention it? I think he's Canadian like the rest of them, but he's a big city Canadian boy. So he's from like Vancouver or Toronto. Is cricket popular in Canada? Um, I'm going to say no based on the reactions of the town. But the town is like super old folk, old timey, set in their ways town. So I didn't know. But I feel like cricket is only popular in England, uh, India, and Dr. Paul Lewis's house. Yes, it could be. Uh, Either way, he really loves cricket, so the the town has to figure out how to... They have to learn how to play the sport, and they have to get all the women in town to sew them uniforms out of all the existing white cloth material. Uh, This also means leaving out dollar bills for the doctor to find, because finding money is always good. Okay, to be fair, that's something that Henry, the bank teller, Mm -hmm. says, and it's only his theory. I don't think that Murray or Murray's fisherman bro really support that. But it is part of 
the it, it's, the scheme. It is part of what. No, I, 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 I will let you get through it. But how ridiculous is it that Paul Lewis? Is not like why is someone putting right. dollar bills here for me to find? He he's, really just—he's really amazed by the fact that every time he walks home from the bar, there's a dollar bill on the dock. Is, is this life when you're a handsome man? Yeah, I—I I don't know. I've—I could only imagine. Um, <laughs> me too. Uh, they. This also includes taking the doctor fishing and putting a frozen fish on his line to make him think he finally he's caught so one. Bad. Yeah, he's really bad at fishing. Um, this also includes spying on the doctor's phone calls to learn more about what he likes, including sexy bedtime activities. Oh my god, that was very unexpected. I wonder if yeah. that made more sense in French because this was a French Canadian movie before right. it was a regular Canadian movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe machine in French. Yeah, machina. <laughs> this is more uh, sexy. Yeah, I I've never heard anyone refer to like their penis as a machine. <laughs> um. So, well, Dr. Lewis sets up shop in the harbor and he starts seeing patients, which includes taking care of practically the whole town in one day, some of whom haven't seen a doctor in years, presumably. Um, Dr. Lewis is also engaged, but he does try to flirt with the harbor's only young single woman in town. However, she shoots him down every single time and like right away. Well, she doesn't want the factory to come into town. I, oh, yeah. Do, she's also anti-factory. They they give her a motivation that's like she doesn't want the factory to come into town. And she's pretty much virtually the only person in town who's not trying to seduce him. Right. But she's also pretty much one of the only people in town who has a job. That's also true. She should be more sympathetic to yeah. these welfare recipients. Uh, Murray also tricks Dr. Lewis into thinking another doctor is interested in the town, when in reality, that doctor is just a clueless fisherman whose boat broke down they in the harbor. They took him hostage. Yeah. They took, they, I would be scared to go anywhere near this town. <laughs> <laughs> they take, they take almost everyone hostage. Um. Forget ooh. about sundown. Any, right? any time during this town. <laughs> uh, sun, sunrise to sundown. Don't go to... What is it? Ticklehead? Ticklehead? That name, too. Oof. That's like, um, what was the movie that we watched last week when the, the, the dog was named Kevin or something? Uh, Rogue. Rogue. That was Rogue. Yeah. Rogue? Oh, yeah. Like, you can name your dog anything you want in a movie. Why would you name it Kevin? Like, you can name your town anything you want in this movie. Why Ticklehead? I wonder if this is like a Newfoundland thing. Yeah. Do you think in, in that part of Canada, all towns have weird name, like Boggy Tits or something? <laughs> Could be. Um, yeah, I'm not not too big on Canadian. Boggy Tits, British <laughs> Columbia. Um, so while Murray's plan to attract the oil company hits another snag, when he finds out a rival town has bribed the oil company. Murray tries to get the bank teller to give him $100,000, and the teller refuses at first, but then decides to basically steal the money for the bribe. Yeah, I think Henry does steal that money. Yeah, he just steals the money, and he's like, all right, I'm just going to work for the factory now, even though it's there's probably some legal issues that need to be taken care of. Although the town doesn't have a doctor, so I guess... I mean, it's Canada, maybe, so right. maybe, maybe, maybe they're... 
Canadian law is different than American law. Yeah. I I just assume it's less violent. Yeah. Um, Well, the oil company does decide to visit the town, and another issue they run into is the town doesn't have enough people to support the new plant the oil company would build. So Murray devises yet another trick where he loads the town into the restaurant, then takes the oil company personnel to the church and has the whole town run over to the church in order to make it look like it's more packed than it really is. You didn't find that scene funny? It was cute. I thought it was pretty cute. Uh, It's then especially more cute because then the whole town has to run back to the restaurant because the guy forgot his hat. And then they don't make it in time, but Taylor Kitsch sort of inadvertently covers for them. And the guy just kind of is like, "Eh, oh, well, weird town. Gotta go. Thanks for my hat. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, well, everything seems to be going fine until Dr. Lewis finds out that his wife has been cheating on him with his best friend. So Dr. Lewis interrupts a town meeting to tell the town he has chosen to stay But Murray tells Dr. Lewis they are going with the quote-unquote other doctor. So Dr. Lewis goes to the young pretty girl and hits on her one last time, and she tells him that the whole town has been lying to him. Uh Uh-oh. This is like the whole big fine finale of the movie, right? That's right. We still have a whole other act of the movie to go because... Oh, I think this all happens in like the last five minutes, though. Right. Oh, but wait a minute. <laughs> Dr. Lewis confronts Murray about this. And right as Dr. Right as Dr. Murray is about to land the oil company deal. So what does Murray do? He apologizes to Dr. Lewis and Dr. Lewis says, it's OK. And he agrees to be the town doctor. So not really much of a, a third act surprise going on there. It's just sort of True. like, hey, you lied to me. Yeah, I did. Sorry. Oh, it's all right. I, I forgive you. I mean, but he lied for a reason that the doctor understood immediately to be compelling. Which but is... there's no... The reason why in a rom-com, when you have the couple split up right before the end, is so that you have that low-low, so that then when you get to the high-high, that high-high feels higher. The lower your low, the higher your high. This movie has... That's no true. low. I feel like we as Americans understand that suffering is necessary for growth, but these nice the these nice, nice little Canadians, they're right. like, oh, we can't let them we can't let them suffer that long. Um, that's true. No one suffers very long in this movie. Uh, the oil company moves in, everyone gets a job, Murray's wife comes back home, and the two of them have sex while the whole town has sex, and then all the chimneys start to light up, and it's the mm-hmm. end. Those po- post-coital chimneys. Oh, man. No, but I do think, okay, so yes, this movie is definitely about um, what we would in 2019 terms call male fragility. And this movie's pretty recent too, right? It's 2013, uh, or yeah, I, I think, and and then I think the French Canadian version was 2009. I so I was interested because I'm always looking for new rom coms, right. um, and the premise to me sounded really interesting because they basically Truman show Doctor Lewis, oh yeah, to get him to stay, right. By pretending to love everything that he loves. But Taylor Kitsch, like, I feel like only Taylor Kitsch could make me believe that this particular doctor would fall for the con. You know what I mean? Right. Like, 
Like, I feel like his self-esteem is great enough that he would believe that he would come to a town where everyone somehow likes everything that he likes and money appears in the same place each evening and people actually want to listen to jazz fusion with him. Yeah, so the doctor also likes jazz fusion, which is, I I do like jazz, but this is not like any jazz I've ever heard. Yeah, it's it's like super jazz. (laughs) I just, again, I wonder if a lot of these things made more sense in French, like all the people fucking, because in, in Amelie, she's preoccupied with how many people are having orgasms too. Oh, yeah. It seems like the French really care about societal orgasms or like the orgasmic happiness index of yeah. a community. Yeah, I would agree with that. I didn't put that together, but um, yeah, orgasm, that's a, it's very, it's a big part of, <laughs> well, yeah, ultimately, of, like you said, society and relationships. So. I, I mean, but apparently in Canada and France, this is a big deal. I don't think that we think about these things stateside. No, yeah. Not not really. There is um, there is an old rom-com that has a similar kind of from outside people's houses scene, except they add like a, a really cool uh, magical realism element. The movie's called Divorce American Style. And they bring this like conductor to a top of the hill and like he Mm. like taps his little music stand. And when he starts conducting, you start seeing the outside of all these houses and all the couples inside are fighting basically and arguing. And it's like the chorus of suburbia. But like that's the American version. Like everybody's fighting. Yeah. We (laughs) Americans like to fight. We like to fight. Yeah. Like even the what the wife Murray's wife moving out of town. That wasn't a big fight or anything. It was it was very oh, no. pleasant and sort of like I have to go do this thing now like oh okay I guess I'll come visit you sometime. I also I like too that uh um in the end, the sort of the happy outcome was not that she comes back to Ticklehead and goes back to being at home right. while he goes to work. They both get to go to work together yeah. and working together strengthens their relationship. So I, I do like that the movie cares about people being on equal footing and mm-hmm. this idea that that I think, again foreign to us this idea that people on welfare don't want to be on welfare right and would like the dignity of being able to work for their own money and not collecting shame as brendan gleason says 15 days worth of money but 30 days worth of shame Mm -hmm. oh no 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 (laughs) How do you think they got Brendan Gleeson involved in this? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, they they must have. I don't know. That's a good question. I wonder how they got Taylor Kitsch involved in this. Oh well, that's easy. This came after John Carter. This yeah. came like like almost immediately after John so, Carter. Yeah, but John Carter. So Taylor Kitsch had one of the most amazingly horrendous two thousand and. In twelve 
casts of yeah, all actors. Yeah, because this is like 13. He had John Carter, he had Battleship, and he had Savages, which is not in and of itself like should be a good movie, but it was directed by Oliver Stone, right? So you have John Carter, which is should a... Should have Joel Schumacher. Should have. Yeah, Joel Schumacher could have made a much more... I never saw Savages, so I can't say. Um, but uh, D- John Carter is Disney, so he figured that movie's got to make bank. Battleship is like a big Transformers-y right. type movie. You figure that movie's got to make bank. Board game to movie adaptations were all the rage. All the rage. Uh, and then Savages is an Oliver Stone movie, so you figure that movie's got to at least make bank or be critically acclaimed or something. But all three of those movies bombed hard. Yeah. And so, but you would think... I don't know. If this movie came out in 2013, that means he wouldn't... Like, I don't know how the timeline works on that. If he was box office poison at that point, so he needed to just take anything that was available. I think he was definitely in some kind of actor jail. Right. Because he's Canadian, and he went back to go do a little Canadian movie. Um, And I think... At the same time as this, he did another little Canadian movie or something like that. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I would. I, I definitely feel like after, they didn't give Taylor Kitsch a lot to do in this movie, but he right. was cute. He was affable. I, I'm not a big Taylor Kitsch fan at all, and I think in a lot of his movies, he kind of. He's a little bland. But in this movie, even though, like you said, he doesn't have a lot to do, I really liked him in this movie. I thought he was really good. No, I, I thought so, too. And and I I feel like like the whole vibe that the movie was going for was sweet. Right. And that's what he was really doing. Like, you know, like sort of the, the stereotypical rom-com hero is like a rich asshole. Right. And I think that you you get like a build up like he's going to be that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the first time you see him, he's coming down an elevator with his cricket his cricket <laughs> his trophy. Cricket trophy, trophy kid. Uh, and then we find out that he has cocaine in yeah. his bag. He's also um, kind of like uh, he's kind of like a rock and roll type doctor where like he's got his, I think he has he's sunglasses He's a plastic on, surgeon, like he's yeah. got his, his sunglasses on, he's got his phone and his trophy and he, you know, like even when he goes up to the customs agent, he doesn't hang up the phone. He's like, wait, give me a second, babe, I gotta talk to this guy. Yo, it's okay, I'm just making a connection. That's, <laughs> that's all Canadian sound. Just making a connection, it's okay. And they're like, no, go over here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, he, he doesn't turn out to be a jerk at all. Like, yeah, like I, right away, he's kind of like a nice guy. Yeah. And he, and he even has his, like, everyone deserves medicine yeah. moment. Um, again, like the liberal values in this movie, like, come on guys, we're like halfway to socialism here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, like he's, he's very sweet and genuine. He's like, again, what we would call to use another romance term, what we would call a cinnamon roll hero. Oh, he's just like a, he's just like a sweet little cinnamon roll. You know? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. That cinnamon, was a thing. Yeah. Cinnamon roll is definitely a thing. So you have the, the alpha. Is there a website that you go to that has all of these um, there are multiple, but um, okay. TV Tropes is actually incredibly reliable, not only for TV Tropes, but any tropes right. that you see in genre fiction. 
Um, yeah, no. They, can I just browse by genre and character? Oh, uh, I think you can. I think you definitely <laughs> rom coms, male leads, cinnamon roll. But yeah, gotcha. like like for romantic comedy, for horror, yeah, it's all in there. Like, and again, like this was like part of the the genesis of this podcast was me right. recognizing a lot of these tropic or thematic similarities between the two genres. Now, there's not really... The only cinnamon roll hero I can think of in horror is probably, like, Dewey in Scream, where he's just, like, not... He's not, like, the hot guy. He's not the smart guy. He's just... He's nice. That's his whole thing. But he's also kind of a a doofy cop. So there's got to be a a term for doofy cops in horror movies. Well, yeah, I think that you nailed it's like doofy cop. But um, I do feel like... Officer doofus. (laughs) Officer doofy. (laughs) I do feel like Dr. Lewis is a doofus. He's he's a little bit of a a mimbo. (laughs) Oh, um, that's also another term. Himbo? Himbo? Okay. Yeah. I was going with the Seinfeld version. Oh, really? The mimbo. Mimbo? Yeah. Oh. A male bimbo. Oh, really? Yeah, I've heard himbo before, uh-huh. but um, mimbo works too. Yeah, no, he is definitely a mimbo, but I, I don't hate it. No, yeah. I, I mean, again, I have questions about how he got through medical school. Right. With his lack of attention to very important details. And he seems to be able to treat all of the villagers pretty well, which means his medical knowledge is pretty extensive, but his mm-hmm. primary field is plastic surgery. That is true. I mean, So like, I don't know how it works when you're a doctor if like I mean, I assume you have to go through the basic med school, but Yeah, um but I think well the cool thing about plastic surgeons is they are way better than regular doctors at at treating um or like sewing up open wounds and stuff right. so that they don't scar. Like if you get a really nasty gash and you have the the money for it, it's better to go to a plastic oh, wow. surgeon to to sew it up than a regular doctor because the regular doctor does not give a shit. How about the town butcher? Yeah, yeah, the town butcher, <laughs> who is also the doctor, will not try to help your scar heal pretty. Right. But yeah, no, that was the big reveal to the doctor that before they had a town doctor, it was the town butcher yeah. who helped sew people up. Um, Sounds very gross. Yeah, that's that's part so of the... What you get with socialized medicine people. I took that concept a little bit and, and sort of put it into oh, my horror version. Oh, you're, yeah. oh that's <laughs> a good one. I, I definitely phoned in my horror on this one a little bit. It was hard. Uh, it it yeah. was really hard. Well, I'll tell you what made it really hard for me is because I used ritual sacrifice Ooh, yeah. in my last pitch and... Even you didn't though, wanna... yeah, even though like I could use ritual sacrifice again, I realized like so I used ritual sacrifice in my last horror pitch, and in the one before that, it also has ritual sacrifice. Yeah. So I just you know, as much as people love trilogies, right? I I wanted to break up the pattern. I wanted to do one for me before I go back to ritual sacrifice and right. do one for them. Um, but that uh, was a limiting factor for me. <laughs> what made it difficult for you? Um, 
well, I don't know exactly what made it difficult. I think just trying to like figure out this way where I could get like a character who's obsessed with a factory and make a factory kind of important and sort of like take a hostage type scenario and turn mm-hmm. it, you know, make it more horror-y. He's um, definitely a hostage. He is a hostage, And he for doesn't sure. know it. Like, I, I wish, like, again, he plays his naivety and just, like, gullibleness so well, but it's like, you want to be like, you're in danger, Taylor right. Kitsch. <laughs> well, there was that. I did like how at the very beginning uh, when the cricket team starts celebrating, he's like, wait, did both teams win? Because everyone is celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really clever. Um, that was really funny. That was a good set piece uh, that I liked. I liked that whole scene. And I I don't know. I, I, I definitely laughed at some parts of this movie. I agree that it is a movie for older people yeah. who feel forgotten by time or that times are changing in a way that they're unwilling to accept, which I think is definitely a message for people in their, their third act. Right. Uh, versus <laughs> Dr. Paul Lewis, who's like, why does everyone lie to me? Uh, did you think this movie was offensive at all? It was offensive to me in some ways in that they really did not give the female characters enough to okay. do. And I did resent that Murray basically tells the postmistress to whore herself out to... Taylor Kitsch. Now, it is Taylor Kitsch, so, I mean, it's not as bad of a deal right. as... It's as just a little some. flirting, though. It's not... Just some light... Yeah, he says just just a little flirting yeah. with the doctor. But he's engaged. Yeah, he's engaged, and then I feel like they also... Um, I wish, like, the movie had spent a little bit more time building up to him going to her house when he was drunk. Right. Because it's literally just, like, cut from he's in the restaurant to he's in front of her house and he's drunk and he wants to come in. Right. And it's like, no, you... Because in the movie, Murray lies to him and tells him that the postmistress is in love with him. Right. So why not do that work in the bar where everyone is in the bar trying to seduce the doctor so they get him really drunk, they tell him the postmistress is super into him, Mm -hmm. and then he goes over there. Right. But even then, he's engaged. Isn't that a huge character flaw that, like, never really gets resolved? That That's one of them. And then also his cocaine problem. Yeah, which like, isn't... Is, I guess it's not really a problem. It's just more of, like, a, he dabbles. an indulgence. Yeah. He, he dabbles <laughs> he's here a, and there. You know, he's your casual cocaine user. Exactly. Yeah. Which is definitely... I mean, it's possible. <laughs> Sure. But I did think that this movie had a lot of missed opportunities when it came to like sort of, you know, some of the comeuppance aspects where the town, when he figures out that the town's spying on him, like they were listening to all his phone calls. That never gets resolved. It's just sort of. I think they just never tell him. Like these town people are shifty. They are. Um, Yeah. But also like when he's doing the the doctor tests on all the people, on all the townsfolk, and the guy's like, I have athlete's foot, and now it's athlete's leg. And the one lady's like, I need to go on the pill. I like that. (laughs) It just, but it felt like 
Yeah, you could have gone one step further. You I, know what I mean? Like that I whole agree. scene could have been. There was never a punchline to that whole scene. It was just kind of like a little tickle here and a little tickle there, and it never really. They didn't. Yeah, your tickle is a strangely good tickle way. Head. Tickle head. Um, it's a good way to describe it because I feel like there were good comedy moments, except they didn't push the lever right far enough. Like like they pushed it a little, but like I feel like uh, again, like in an American comedy, um, you would have kept pushing the joke right. until you'd completely exhausted the joke's yeah. abilities. Or have some kind on. of build up, like when he finds the or twenty dollar bill backs. on the on the dock. Like he could have been building up to that moment the whole time, where he's like, "You guys are never gonna believe this. Every time I come out of the bar, you know, I I do this thing, and then I find money on the bar." And they're like, "No, you know, like instead, it's just him walking up, and he's like, "Oh, hey, here's that money that I always find. Isn't that cool?" And they're like, right. "Oh, yeah, isn't that Until cool?" Until he doesn't find the money. Oh, that was sad. <laughs> I I did react strongly verbally <laughs> to, to them like because i feel like that was meant to be the low moment is right. when they so in order to truly hook the doctor they do a little bit of negging yep. in the form of taking a sailor hostage yeah. dressing him up like a doctor and pretending to taylor kitsch that that is their doctor and then he takes the fake doctor fishing. Ugh. He does all the stuff that Taylor Kitsch liked to do with Brendan Gleeson. Because yeah. they're like having some father-son feelings for each other. Yeah. Like there's there's definitely feelings in this movie and feelings for each other. But they're more familial than romantic. But I don't know. I feel like family family dynamics are important to a good romantic comedy too. And I do like... Maybe you're not as into small towns as a setting as I am. Like I like, Maybe. I like, I like, like I think that's half the appeal of like a show like Parks and Recreation, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like the small town as a character has a lot of great comedic possibilities. Like, like I get, like I guess I kept thinking of Parks and Recreation in the town hall scenes in oh, particular because yeah. I like wanted those to be more zany yeah. as well. Whereas they were like pretty staid, even though at the end, uh, like Dr. Paul Lewis comes in when they're talking about him. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty funny that, um, you know, then they had to pretend like it was church. (laughs) But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that this whole movie was just kind of, it, it was satisfactory in how it approached everything just in terms of like, all right, you got what you needed out of the scene. That's fine, I guess. Um, yeah, they didn't really work it. Yeah. Um, this movie needed a little bit more work. A little more massaging. A little more invasive surgery Oh, <laughs> kind of like flatliners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Shall we get Ooh. into these pitches? You've made me very curious. Yes. Uh, this is, I spent way more time on this one than I did the Flatliners one. Oh, let's hear it. So this is going to be, I don't want to say the name of my movie until the end because I don't want to spoil anything. Ooh. Um, so Dr. Lewis has a good life in the city. 
He's got a loving wife, two beautiful children, a wonderful dog. Two children? Yep. An an expensive house, a fancy car, and he loves his job, and he's really good at it. But Dr. Lewis... Uh, but as Dr. Lewis is leaving work one day, he notices two strange men following him. The strange and like the the strange men look really out of place, like almost homeless. They look they look kind of strange and like disheveled. shabby harbor yeah. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. The strangers follow him all the way home and are even waiting for him outside the home the next day. Dr. Lewis calls the police, but the police aren't much help. You know, Dr. Doofus has a scene where, or Officer Doofus has a scene where he comes in, isn't much help. Um, as Dr. Lewis heads home one day, he hits something on the road, and his car spins out of control. The doctor gets out and looks at his car, and he has a flat tire. No, wait. He has four flat tires. Four flat Ooh. tires. So the doctor looks back in the road, and something is there. He walks over to it and finds a spike strip. What? Foul play. And then, thump, blackness. The doctor falls over, and the two men following him pick him up and put him in their van. Ooh, Dr. Lewis wakes up chained to a bed in a dark cell. The two men open the door and unchain him, uh, but they secure him. Probably like, you know those um, poles that they use, the dot that dog catchers use? Oh, yeah. Those long poles with the, that's, the, that's the brutal. hoop on the end? Yeah, yeah. So, like, they, they do weird stuff like that. They, you know, they chain him up and stuff. Uh, they seem really messed up. They have lots of scars, maybe a limp, a missing eye, that kind of thing. These men... They take Dr. Lewis in his med bag to see the mayor. And so the mayor talks to the doctor in code. He's like a raving lunatic. Um, and at the end, he, uh, he ends the meeting by taking a scalpel from the doctor's bag and cutting his own throat. What? what? So the two men take the doc back to his cell and chain him up. A few days later, you know, like they're feeding him little trays of goop and stuff. But they're, a few days later, he's taken to a small operating type room and told by the men just to quote-unquote fix just then an injured person walks in with cuts all over their arm Uh, the doctor fixes this person and is brought back to his cell this goes on a few more times until someone is brought in with a mangled arm the doctor is told to fix but he refuses the man's arm cannot be fixed so the two men kill the person right in front of him Whoa. whoa then they bring in someone else who has an infected foot the doctor again says he can't save the foot uh, and so the two men go to kill this person, but the doctor says, wait. And so what he does is he ends up sawing a foot off of the dead man and performs, performs an emergency surgery where he transplants the dead man's foot onto the new person's foot. Can you do that? Yes. <laughs> I did a lot of extensive medical research for my movie. You can. Ooh. You can just take any body part and sew it onto a new person and it's... Just like brand new. And it works? Oh, yeah. It works fine. That's how transplants happen. I mean, but why isn't everybody just taking limbs and swapping them out? Mm, That's a good (laughs) question. Maybe, like, one arm. You don't want one arm to be longer than the other arm. I guess not. Or, like, skin tone. Two arms are better than one. Yeah, that's true. But now we have robot arms in the real world, so we don't need to worry about that. Um. This continues on some more, some men and women he can save, others he can't. He becomes sort of like a Dr. Frankenstein of sorts, you know, reassembling people and building bodies and stuff, keeping as many people alive as he can. 
uh, he also starts to learn a little bit more. He starts to learn about the factory where everyone works, but no one is... Ooh, nice use of the factory. Yeah. No one will say what they make. He learns about the supervisor who watches over them, but no one will tell him more. The doctor hatches a plan to escape and does so. He finds himself in the middle of a decent-sized town, but it is a ghost town. None of the phones work. All the cars are dead. No one is around. Just then he hears a whistle blow. So he follows the noise to a factory on a hill. No, but it's the factory. The factory. So he sees a small group of people walk out and another group, small group of people walk in. And these are the people he's been operating on this whole time. So he walks into the factory, but no one will talk to him. They're all sort of working on this giant machine in the middle of the factory. Um, And it seems like this giant machine was sort of built out of the scraps of all the other machines in the factory. So it's like a a sort of like steampunky type contraption in the middle of this, this place. Um, so one of them tells him to be quiet and that the supervisor sees all. So when he asks who is the supervisor, the, the worker sort of points up to an office overlooking the entire factory floor. So the doctor goes and he goes inside and there he sees Murray, a man who looks emaciated and sick and pale. Yeah. And so the doc asks him what's going on. And, or what's wrong, and Murray seems out of it. He seems really weak, and he speaks of hunger and flesh and blood. And just then, someone is injured working on the giant machine in the factory. And so one of the, um, I'm going to just call them like slavers. So it's, you know, uh-huh. in this town, there's two groups of people. There's the people who are sort of, you know, in charge of kidnapping and making sure all the other townsfolk go to the work. get out so, folk. <laughs> yeah, they're the slavers, and then the other people are the slaves. Um, so one of the slavers comes over and let's see where, oh yeah. One of the slavers comes over and looks up to Murray who goes to the window and nods. The doctor watches in horror as the slaver takes the injured person and feeds them into the machine feet first. Ugh, of course. Yes. Only in Canada. Ugh. So there's a lot of noise and steaming coming out of the machine, lots of moving parts and rattling, and then something pours out of the other end of the machine into like a vial. And the slaver picks it up and walks it up to the office, gives it to Murray, who drinks it. Upon dr- upon drinking it, he seems to get better, you know, a little less pale. Maybe one of his arms doesn't really work, but now like both arms work, something like that. So um, he threatens the doctor who goes to escape. In the process of escaping, the doc injures the slaver, and as the doc runs out of the factory, he hears the slaver scream as the sounds of the machines drown him out. Yeah. Hells yeah. So the doc sees someone in the window of one of the abandoned uh, buildings. And there he meets Kathleen, uh, as well as a handful of others. And they explain to him that the town used to be a thriving town and that Murray was a supervisor of the factory, but that it was unsafe. So the workers went on strike. Murray threatened and muscled the workers back um, to work. And based on pressure from higher up. And so they did, some of them did go back to work, but then a worker died. So the workers put a curse on Murray in the factory. Oh, yeah. Nice. And so after that, some started going missing. And by the time the townsfolk really figured out what was happening, Murray sort of had created this following, this cult following of slavers around him. And he was able to force the town to work for him. But in order to feed the machine, he needed the townsfolk. So the town went from a pretty decent-sized town down to, like, a ghost town. Um, Yeah, and so he feeds off of um, people, and Murray is running out of people. He's almost out. And so the doc inspires the people to—or he tries to inspire the people to fight back, 
but um, you know, there's not that many slavers left, and Murray is really weak. But they hesitate at first, and they say no. So the doc goes back to the factory alone, and just as he is about to face off with the remaining slavers, the town folks show up, and there's a big battle in the factory. Hells yeah. And just as things are looking good for the doc and the townsfolk, Murray comes down from his office. Uh, He looks better. Uh, So presumably in the meantime, he's sort of, he he drank a few more people. Uh, Murray fights the townsfolk, killing most of them until the doc. Yep. He final bossed them all? Oh yeah, it gets, wait, we're, we're just getting there. So he kills most of them until the doc lands a fatal blow with his scalpel. But this doesn't stop Murray. In fact, Murray transforms into a demon and slaughters the remainder of the townsfolk. And oh, ju- it, it was his second health bar, clearly. Right. Yeah, 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 just like every boss has two forms, right? This isn't even my final form. Uh, just as Murray is about to kill the doc, the doc slips in some blood and presses a button on the factory, uh, which causes all the smaller machines around the big machine to start going off. And one of the machines explodes, so the doc ducks, and some of the machinery knocks Demon Murray back into the machine, and the doc turns it on. And so then the movie ends with the doctor walking away as the factory burns and the machine eats the demon. Walking away from that explosion like a badass. He doesn't even look back. I love it. Yeah. So that's how you turn the grand seduction (laughs) into a violent, gross horror movie about a doctor who has to patch people up for a demon who drinks them that's awesome what's the title uh the title is the blood factory the blood factory <laughs> that's, that's very, the best i could come up with very on the nose yeah 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 um, you could just call it the factory but i mean even midnight meat train decided to just right. make it make it all but there's already there's got to be at least five to ten other movies called the factory oh i'm sure or simply factory which right I think is like about Andy Warhol. Oh, yeah, I would not. Because that's what they called his artist space was the factory. Of course. (laughs) I love it, though. I feel like this could exist in the same universe as the Grand Seduction. This is just after they right. This is after. Yeah, this is like twenty years later. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think Taylor Kitsch could carry this kind of action role. Right. Um, And Brendan Gleeson would be great as a demon. Yeah. I totally agree. How about you? What's your? I can't wait to hear your pitch. Let's let's see. Okay, so I called this movie. The movie's called Kickers. Kickers. (laughs) Kickers. Okay. Yes. So, Act One, we get young Murray French. Uh, He wakes up in the early morning, just like in the first movie, and sees his dad setting off for work along with the rest of the fishing village. And he goes outside to observe all the fishermen gathering, but sees something highly peculiar. Mm. All the people gather in the town square and appear to be kicking something. (laughs) Young Murray sees that they are kicking a man who's on the ground. Whoa. And Murray's dad catches him and asks, you want in? And then that's when we see young Murray eagerly start kicking someone to death. Wow. Beside everyone else. Gotta get them while they're young. Yep. And then in a voiceover, we learn that, you know, you see our little harbor had a taste for murdering. Oh, no. So basically everyone in town loves murder. 
and we fast forward to present day and there's just not enough strangers coming to Ticklehead to get murdered. Uh, and similar to the first movie, the harbor is vying for a factory to choose Ticklehead. But the real reason that they want it is so they can start murdering outsiders again. Because it's fun. Uh, and the town needs a doctor, so they blackmail Dr. Lewis. And then uh, middle act, uh, instead of having to convince him to stay by seducing him, Murray's purpose becomes to prevent the townspeople from killing Dr. Lewis long enough to get this deal through. Yeah. So, so he's still, like, Dr. Lewis is still super naive. Right. But instead of, like, everyone trying to charm him, like, they're secretly trying to kill him at every turn, and Murray's, like, trying to stop them. Like, right. Like, maybe when he bends down to pick up a dollar, somebody swings an axe at him. Right. And Murray stops it before... Uh, Dr. Lewis sees. So this movie is also kind of a comedy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it's a horror comedy. Um, And so Dr. Lewis is just, he's so gullible, he starts to think the townspeople really care about him. And Murray's loyalties are divided, um, just like the first movie. But man, he wants to get back to killing again, too. Yeah, once you get that itch. Yeah. Hard to scratch. Super hard to scratch. So now we we get down to the third act, and the men from the factory have arrived in town uh, to sign the papers, and now the townspeople, they're just really, they got some pent-up killing energy. It's just been simply way too long since they last killed someone. And then the last straw is when Murray's wife threatens to leave him if he does not let him kill one of the outsiders right fucking now. And... Resigned, he hands her a brick, which she immediately throws at one of the factory men, probably the guy who instantly counted the amount of townspeople with mm-hmm. one look. Yeah. Um, and then the townspeople, they catch the cue, and they begin beating the shit out of the factory guys while Murray tries to find Dr. Lewis and get him out. And then Murray and Dr. Lewis get caught by the townspeople and they start listing off reasons to kill Dr. Lewis like crickets boring (laughs) and jazz fusion sucks and then Murray again resigned steps away and lets Dr. Lewis be demolished by the crowd no but that night though all the couples in town get busy because that's the best old killing sesh they've had in a long time oh yeah and and that's the end gotcha (laughs) i like this kind of um wallace and gromit-esque like i picture wallace and gromit you know where um like everything is trying to kill is it it like wallace But, like, everything's trying to kill Wallace, and Gromit has to, like, save him. And, you know, it's the same thing where it's like, oh, uh, uh, an an axe is flying towards him, but Wallace bends down just in time, and then the axe Mm -hmm. almost hits Gromit, and it, yeah. Exactly. It's exactly like that. And I just, I like the idea of all these old people being really bloodthirsty. Yeah. And just wanting to kill people real bad. You should watch a movie. Your movie sounds a little bit like a movie that I don't know the name of, but it was written by Dan O'Bannon, and it's called something like Buried Alive or Dead and Alive 
or Dead Alive? No, Dead Alive is um There is a Buried Alive movie with Ryan Reynolds. That's Buried. Uh-huh. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. Um but um yeah, it's this weird movie where this town, like all these people start disappearing in this little town and it's full of old people and I don't oh it's called Dead and Buried. Um, oh. I don't want to ruin the, the, the twist ending if you ever decide to watch it, but it's got like a little twisty mystery going on and this guy's got to try, the cop of the town has to try to figure Ooh. out why all these people are going missing. Ooh, and, a little twisty too. Yeah, and it's very much like, um, it was from 1981, but it's very much like an 80s horror movie in the sense of... Um, Sounds fun though. Yeah, it's it's about adults. Usually, you don't get that in horror movies, right? Usually, horror movies are about teens, teens running around doing stuff. This movie is about like adults and old people and a mystery. Oh, yeah, that does sound really cool. I would definitely watch that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Awesome. So wait, Dead and Buried. Dead and Buried. Okay. I, I will check that out because I, I would watch some old people doing shenanigans. Yeah. So before we get into Joel Schumacher's Flatliners, Ooh. who did you have, or wait, who did you want to kill from this movie? I really wanted to kill Brendan Gleeson. Oh, <laughs> really? Uh, I just felt like he was... He's re- a bad, bad man. Yeah. He never gets his real comeuppance. Not that like in a movie like this you need to get a comeuppance, but you need to at least get some punishment like we described. Like you have to have those low lows. He never really gets punished for any of the stuff that he does. And he's really kind of like selfish about everything. You know, like even though he's doing this for the town and for the factory. to the bank teller, Henry. Yeah, like he's making fun of him. He's telling him that he's bad at his job because he won't steal money like i don't know you don't steal money from your job to help a small harbor community get a factory i don't no i wouldn't even know where to begin stealing from my job (laughs) um but um yeah i don't know it just he like he was really kind of rubbing me the wrong way with how eager like how he never really listened to anyone it was all about him and and you know that's uh, true and he i think he like self-appointed himself the mayor yeah there was never an election there was never a scene where he was elected he decided that he was gonna just do it yeah um but no one else really seemed to want to anyway so yeah that's true yeah that's true i think i would probably kill brendan gleason too yeah. I feel like he, he is a menace to the community, and he does succeed. So I guess that makes it okay. Right. That nullifies everything wrong he did before. Um, but yeah, he didn't have to be so mean about it. No. And it's like, you know, sometimes your wife needs to work, and mm-hmm. that's okay. And maybe she wants to work in town, and that's okay, too. Right. Um. But yeah, no, he's he's got to go. Yeah, got to get him out of there. Got to go. So, flatliners. Ooh, flatliners. Do you think Joel Schumacher really likes giant statues? Oh yeah. Because that was a thing. I feel like that was definitely a thing in Batman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Gotham City was full of them. 
filled with huge statues. Like, mm-hmm. and in fact, I feel like the particular statue, which is like the top half of a head, I feel like that's been repurposed. Right. I I swear to God, I've seen that head in multiple Joel <laughs> Schumacher movies. I also. I became a little bit interested in learning more. Apparently, Joel Schumacher claims he slept with 20,000 men. Whoa, 20,000? 20,000 men. Whoa. At the same time? I hope so, (laughs) because that is definitely some kind of record. But yeah. That puts tickleheads. He's a big old slut. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it... That's it, a lot. It makes me think that maybe the character of Joe is based on Joel Schumacher. Right. But, like, he made him straight for the movie because I that was another thing that Joel Schumacher said was that each of his movies has, like, subliminally commentary on, the, on his experiences being, like, a gay man. Right. But it's, like, hidden because this is 1990. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know what was gay about Flatliners, though. I don't. I. I mean, it. It didn't really seem like it was a commentary on on anything sexual, with the exception of um, William, uh, Baldwin. William Baldwin's character. So I right. wonder, like, is that based on Joel Schumacher? Did he wrong a bunch of boyfriends? Maybe maybe there's something to do with bullying. Maybe. Maybe Joel Schumacher <clears throat> was bullied or did some bullying as a kid and he had some atoning to do. He sure did. Oh man, well let's let's get into it because I definitely have some opinions. All right. <laughs> um this is the first time by the way I've seen Flatliners. I'd never yeah. seen it before. I'd seen it a long time ago. Did it hold but... up for you? I thought this movie, hmm, it's not a good movie. (laughs) It's not a good movie, but it's not a bad movie. Like, I had a lot of fun watching the movie, but after you go into the the spiel of it, like, I think this movie, kind of like The Grand Seduction, like, it doesn't take it far enough in some aspects. Yeah, it could have been way scarier. Oh, this movie is not scary at all. That was, I was going to ask you if you were ever scared watching this movie. Oh, no, not not at all. And in fact, I've got... Again, many opinions about how the the more horrible scenes play out, yeah. especially in light of the fact. So recently, I like to watch a lot of YouTube videos, particularly compilations of different found footage. Uh, and recently, I watched at least three different videos that were compilations of geese attacks. Okay. And I can definitely tell you that the geese attacks that I watched on YouTube were more intimidating than anything that happened in this movie. You don't think little kids with hockey sticks are that frightening? I I think that they and geese share the same stat that they're immune to intimidation. Right. Like, regardless of their lack of comparative strength, um, little kids and geese are completely immune to intimidation. And they will still try to fuck you up. Um, I thought it was weird because at one point when I was watching this movie, I was like, it's weird that they chose to go with little kids because little kids aren't scary. And then I was thinking, wait a minute, like one out of every four horror movies features a little kid that's scary. So why did this movie, 
how did this movie drop the ball on that so badly? Oh, okay. So let's let's definitely right. get into it. So so and we'll we'll find out. I'll I can answer that question. Gotcha. Uh, so we open with Nelson Wright, played by Kiefer Sutherland, vintage Kiefer. Yeah. Uh, walking around like he's the coolest thing since dry ice. Like he's got a trench coat before trench coats oh, became yeah. problematic. Um, it was very Joel Schumacher. Oh, it was so Joel Schumacher. Like, you can tell he's like, I love this kid. This movie picks up where Lost Boys left off. Exactly. <laughs> no, this is exactly what happened. Like, after Lost Boys ended, he wandered off of that studio set and right onto the studio set yeah. for Flatliners. He likes to work with the same people a lot. So Kiefer, Kiefer yeah. and, and Joel Schumacher, they've got like a Scorsese, DiCaprio thing. Um, so he, and then he says, he's like, it's today is a good day to die. Hells yeah. I was into it. Damn yeah. <laughs> and they've got like, even though it's 1990, they've kind of got like the eighties incidental music, which right. is like a, like an electric guitar. That's yeah. like, wow, wow, wow. I could have used more <laughs> of the, um, chorus from Lost Boys. That's like, uh. thou shall not kill. <laughs> Yeah, oh, they did it have seems, churchy music. Yeah, they needed more there. like churchy Greek choir type music to. Yeah, where was Danny Elfman yeah. for this score? <sighs> um, he's good at stuff like that. Um, so Nelson goes around the metal, medical school where he's he's studying, trying to convince some of his peers to help him with his scientific experiment. He wants to flatline and prove whether there is an afterlife. So he gets four of them to help him. There's Sleazy Joe played mm-hmm. well, by... Also, his proof of the afterlife is basically just like there's no medical proof of it. He's just like his proof would be, hey, guys, I did it. Yeah. I experienced it. This is like a very, a very unscientific... It's very nonchalant, it, very laid back. But also, again, like, like, and I worked this into my pitch... The whole point of the Hippocratic Oath, right, is to do no harm. Right. You, you're supposed to do no harm and, and help people. So why would you harm yourself? But it's a controlled harm for, for the greater good. Well, I mean, you got Kevin Bacon to bring you back, so there's a lot of trust there. <laughs> So, so we've got Sleazy Joe, William Baldwin, and then there's Hotshot David Labracchio. That's his name, David yeah. Labracchio. Labracchio, uh, yeah. That's, is it Labracchio or Labraccio? I think it's it's got to be Labraccio, right? Is it? I I guess so. Italians t- chime in. in, yeah. Um, and he's like Kevin Bacon's a hotshot. Like he he wanted to perform a surgery. But he didn't have permission to perform yeah. that surgery. And so he decides that he's out of here. So when Kiefer Sutherland goes to like make him part of his scheme, he's literally, Kevin Bacon is such a rebel. He's climbing out of a window and saying like, I'm done with this place. Yeah. Man. I've never seen a movie where like a normal conversation takes place with one of the characters hanging off the side of a wall. Yeah, that was definitely something where, like, Joel Schumacher yeah. was like, it'd be super cool if we did it like this. It was. It was super cool. It was cool. And, like, it, again, reminded me, like, 
like where Kevin Bacon was also right. at this point in time where it's like he's so cool and rebellious yeah. that Kevin Bacon <laughs> I I really like it's funny like like Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland was, was a big deal at that was was he a bigger deal than Kevin Bacon in 1990 or not I don't imagine I don't think Kiefer Sutherland ever was a bigger deal than Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah, probably not. Right. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland was part of the Brat Pack, or no? Was, was he, he not? I, uh, I don't know. I don't think he's ever been in a John Hughes movie. He's done a lot of character work. I feel like Kiefer Sutherland is a lot more creepy right. than people give him credit for. Like, I think he's really good at being creepy. Yeah. I think we should let Kiefer Sutherland play more creepy people but like yeah, yeah like i forgot just how effortlessly cool kevin bacon is like oh like yeah it's like i get it i get why everyone's obsessed with kevin bacon like five minutes into this movie i texted sonia and i was just like kevin bacon is so cool isn't he though <laughs> he's really cool um but yeah like so there there's kevin bacon david labraccio Rachel Manis, played by little Julia rom-com royalty, Julia Roberts. Our first Julia Roberts sighting is a horror movie. I know, and I wanted so much more for Julia. Like, I'm really glad that Julia got to move on to some projects where she was treated with a little bit more dignity than uh, (laughs) this one. You know, yeah. The, the paycheck feeds you for 15 days and the shame lasts forever. But yeah, they're so fucking mean to her in they this are. movie. They are really and mean. And like, they call her, like they slut shame her for no reason when she's never, like the only person she fucks is Kevin Bacon because of course. Um, and then the last person is Oliver Platt. Randy yeah. Steckle. I, oh, poor Oliver Platt. I feel like he should have been given more to do in this movie. Yeah. Instead of being just a jealous nerd. Um, But they go to an under construction church to do the experiment because Mm -hmm. Joel Schumacher likes dramatic irony. Yeah. Uh, And Nelson successfully flatlines and he has a vision of himself as a kid running after his dog Champ. But that is an incomplete version of the story. Uh, later, Nelson seems to experience like paranoia and scary visions of a boy he bullied named Billy Mahoney. But then Nelson, importantly, does not tell the group about this. Right. Joe flatlines next and then sees a collage of every woman <laughs> oh he has ever loved from his mother to his first crush down to every single yeah. woman he fucked. Uh, and he seems to be happy with his experience until women he secretly filmed while having sex begin to chastise him through the TV screen. Mm-hmm. This is definitely, this feels like, like a, like a Harvey Weinstein nightmare or right. something where it's like, why did you do that to me, Joe? Yeah. Why did you film me without my permission? This movie really was like, it was really gross at the beginning when he was, Having sex with her and and filming it. And he was like looking up at the camera, smiling. And I was like, ooh, this movie has not aged well at all. I feel like William Baldwin was not acting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
But then the movie like very quickly goes to say, hey, this kind of behavior is not okay. And they they really start punishing him for it like right out of the I'm glad. The yeah. I'm really glad that they did. And I also yeah. really appreciated the like like again, maybe this will just be my love ode to Kevin Bacon. But, like, when he tells the people, like, the group that he's been doing this, Kevin Bacon gives him this, like, like elevator eye look <laughs> that's just, like, such, like, scathing judgment right. without any words. It was quite beautiful. Um, but, but, yeah, like... So yeah, Joe definitely is. It's, it's like that one Frasier episode where Frasier goes to a. You, you watched Frasier, right? Uh, I've seen, I've seen it here and there. Yeah. But so there's one episode where Frasier goes to a cabin, and every girl he's ever slept with, like a vision of them, is mm. in there along with Frasier's mother. I think mother. I've seen that one. And then he has to work out right. like what his problem is. I was also uh, thinking of um, Dennis Reynolds from It's Always Sunny. Yeah, he's got a he's got a large collection of women he's videotaped. Or. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a Dennis Reynolds yeah. type for sure. And the idea that he would begin to atone it was a little hard to believe. But maybe maybe Joel Schumacher was feeling bad for being slutty. Right. Not not to slut shame Joel Schumacher. I'm sure he had a lot of fun with those twenty thousand <laughs> men. Um, so David then because he likes her argues with Rachel about being next and then he decides to go next. And God, it like, was so funny when <laughs> when she was like, It's my turn and David's like like I don't want to do this and she's like, Okay, I'm the only I'm the last one left who wants to go and he's like, Fine, I'll do it. Like right. well, she wants to do it. <laughs> They've been pushing her aside this whole time and she's like they're like, Oh no, you just work the anesthesia. Man. Like I liked when she stormed out. I was like, Yeah, good for you. Exactly. No, you It was it was laughable how shittily they were treating her. Because they I were know. just like nineteen ninety. You was don't get to do it, you're a bad woman. Bad time. Bad time. But yeah, and they're like competing over like how many minutes they can go to. Yeah, and I like that. And yeah, no, he definitely was like, I must protect female yeah. mode. Um, but yeah, so David flatlines next. He sees his life flash before his eyes in reverse order and then sees a little girl that he bullied as a kid, Winnie Hicks. Ooh, let me tell you about Winnie Hicks. Uh, and then the day that Rachel is supposed to go under, David has a vision on the subway of Winnie Hicks verbally taking him down. And if you thought that I didn't love Kevin Bacon already in this movie, seeing Kevin Bacon get totally verbally <laughs> eviscerated by right. a little black girl was also highly satisfying. She yeah. calls him some really bad names. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's... But it's not scary at all. No, it's not scary at all. But did she assassinate his character and totally own him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She served him. Uh, so then he realizes that he needs to end Rachel's flatline early again. Mm -hmm. These guys are always just trying to get in there uh, because he thinks there's something bad that's happening. Uh, and then when they try to resurrect her, though, the power goes out. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they have to bring Rachel back to life manually. 
And then she does make it back, but she starts to see visions of her dead dad because her mom blamed her for the death. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also David goes to Winnie Hicks to apologize for being a dick as a kid, which was a very weird scene. It was. It was (laughs) was very bizarre. Super awkward. And it's like, maybe just apologize in real life, uh, Joel Schumacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And after he does this, his conscience is free. He's no longer haunted. Nelson, on the other hand, is getting his ass kicked by ghost Billy Mahoney. Like, it Mm -hmm. it was kind of like like pre-It Follows. Where, like, you see, like, there's the invisible force that's, like, tracking Nelson and then the flap lifts on the truck. And this scene confused me because, so... Nelson, Kiefer Sutherland, is struggling against his ghost. Kevin Bacon comes up to the car and sees that it's locked. Then he throws a rock and breaks a window to get in, but you see earlier that the ghost got in through the back of the pickup truck, through Mm -hmm. the flap. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why wouldn't you just do that, Kevin Bacon? Yeah, I didn't know why he didn't just go through the flap, why he had to break his own window. Yeah, Yeah. because they showed us that he could get in that way, because that's how the ghost got in. It just, it doesn't make sense. And also, I've got to say, so you were asking about, like, why little kids and, like, what didn't work? Little kids only work in horror movies as ghosts because Mm -hmm. as ghosts, their strength triples and then they can use, you know, paranormal mind powers and nightmares to affect people. But these ghost children use physical violence. Mm-hmm. So watching yeah, like, the very first the very first scene where um where where Kiefer Sutherland meets up with little Billy Mahoney and it's Billy just and he just kicks him right in the nuts and then just proceeds to beat him up. It reminded me of um Martyrs. That yeah. scene in Martyrs where it's like we're going to torture you in the most <laughs> elaborate way possible and then some goon just comes in and starts <laughs> knocking the shit out of her well i mean it's not romantic it's just real um but yeah the idea that a child could take down Kiefer sutherland you know what it reminded me a particular goose attack where the goose it was really sad that this family didn't help this child but this kid was lying on his stomach and the goose was on top of him pecking him and just completely owning him. Yeah. Like, I've never seen somebody owned so oh, no. hard by a goose, and no one was helping. And I felt the same way right. about watching <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland get beat up by a child, because I was like, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. But, Jack you know, Bauer. Like I said, children and geese are immune to any kind of intimidation yeah so i mean it just yeah like he just gets his ass kicked by a child um and then also rachel later that day rachel and david they sleep together and that night nelson takes joe and randy to billy mahoney's grave and explains that he bullied billy and as a result because he and his friends were throwing rocks at billy Mm -hmm. billy fell to his death and -hmm. also champ the dog died which was something that young nelson was way more concerned about than billy dying 
Um, and he's like, I thought I paid my dues. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, no, you don't just pay your dues after you kill someone, bro. <laughs> like, you, you got to do a little bit more than just becoming a doctor right. and forcing your classmates to kill you and bring you back to life. Um, but yeah, he, he decides that he needs to flatline again to get forgiveness from Billy he calls Rachel to apologize and also... Well, is he... Like, because his plan is basically to die. Yeah. Right? Because he, he goes to Flatline without any of the other people there. He doesn't tell him what he's doing, really. But he um, does. He Doesn't he tell Rachel that he's going to do it? Oh, uh, yeah. He calls her. I don't know if he explicitly says, I'm going to go Flatline right now. See you later. But she pieces it together. And mm-hmm. the other three piece it together. So everyone knows what he's doing. Right. But he kills himself before they can get there and like i think his plan is to not come back probably but then but then he while he's having a vision of that day he's in the place of billy and getting rocks thrown at him Mm -hmm. instead so he really now he understands exactly how little billy felt now he's paid his price now he's paid his dues um, but the whole gang gets in, they resuscitate Nelson, he's been under for eight minutes, um, they bring him back, and then Nelson ends the movie by saying, today wasn't a good day to die. Whoa. Good callback to the first Roll scene. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I was surprised that they let Nelson live, because yeah. I would think that after all of his crimes and his lying... That he should have to die. Right. But no, he he makes it out alive. Yeah. Yeah. It it was confusing to me that so you talked about like the grand seduction not being a rom com, and I still argue that it is, but it's a, a seasoned romance. Mm-hmm. It's a seasoned romance. I will argue <laughs> over all the my The focus movie is choices. not on the rom. They do call it a seduction. They're seducing the doctor. <laughs> But it's not a rom com. It's movie, a it's a movie with rom com tendencies. Okay, okay. Um, but Flatliners, I do think, is a horror movie, and it is listed on mm-hmm. like when I I was curious, like so for every theme, I always pick the romance, and Brett always picks the horror. But I I do become curious, like oh well, what what could you choose for doctors? And so I did end up looking up like horror movies with doctors list mm-hmm. and Flatliners is on all of them. Mm-hmm. So the world agrees that Flatliners is a horror movie. And right. I even feel like the remake played off of that categorization, even though I've not seen it. I remember like the right. trailers, like they were trying to play up this horror element right. of being haunted by figures from your past. But then we actually saw the movie, and I was like, mm, this kind of just feels like a thriller morality tale. Yeah, but thriller, um, I, I guess it's, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get into this, but I think thriller is a subgenre of horror, right? Ooh. Like, how many genres of movie are there, really? There's, like, drama, which is a dumb thing to call a movie because every movie has drama in it but there's there's drama action comedy and horror 
Yeah. And that's kind of it. And then the the genre. And then you have subgenres yeah, of like, and they meld together and right. have babies and right. stuff. Um, so like sci-fi, sci-fi isn't really a genre in and of itself because it usually has action or drama attached to it. Um, yeah, it's like well, sci-fi and fantasy always have like a visual element or style element right. that's tied to them. That's not you know like like with action and and comedy and and horror and on on and drama like there's there's certain plot beats that you're expected but with sci-fi and fantasy or i think also gothic mm-hmm. movies there's a particular style like the style right. of the movie is much much more important than what the plot does right. in a in a way yeah. So I think that's like the main difference with like sci-fi as a genre where like there's a style element that's very key to getting the drama right. Like you can't, um, to use a different example, like you can't call yourself like a work of gothic whatever if it doesn't in some way incorporate, you know, big right. spooky mansion, there's a storm on the horizon, like there, mm-hmm. and these have nothing to do with plot at all, Yeah, but the other genres do right i guess thriller is like a horror with a with an hea it needs the like a lot of i i haven't seen a thriller yet that doesn't have some kind of happily ever after or some kind of positive bookend where like we gave you the thrills (laughs) and now you're out the other side right it wasn't a good day to die after (laughs) all yeah, but I mean, like thrill—the the the emotion you get from being thrilled is like a sense of fear, and fear mm-hmm. is horror. So I think, like, yeah, when some people are like that's not a horror, it's a thriller. Like, uh, it's I I would agree with you. It's a you. subgenre. It's I, a subgenre. But, I agree with you. But yeah, I mean, I was very curious to know because the very first time I saw this movie, I didn't think it was scary. Um. So then going back to rewatch it, I was, you know, it'd been so long and it, we, we chose doctors. I was like, okay, you know, I like Kevin Bacon. I like Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just watched Lost Boys not too long ago. Oh, fun. And so I was like, all right, maybe I'll give Joel Schumacher another chance. Watch this movie. Uh, maybe something about it will pique my scary, like my, my fear center. statues. But man, this movie is not like it's not even a little bit scary. Oh no, not at all. I feel like the only moment I felt scared was when I thought maybe they would try to kill Julia Roberts, like Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh yeah. And I was like, Are you kidding me? Like if they right. kill another woman <laughs> for the character development of these assholes, like Yeah, I that would have been rough. I would have been really, really upset if julia roberts was killed Mm -hmm. for the plot um and i'm actually really glad that he didn't do that because they were such dicks like i just yeah (laughs) um but yeah no not not a single moment of this movie was scary in fact it was very confusing Again, that a child could so thoroughly own these adults. Like, I just... Keith but it kind of is a ghost child in a way. Yeah, Because it, it's it, like it, a ghost from their past. It is. But, like, he's got, like, it follows. Mm-hmm. 
like uh, like I again like I think it's like the physical the physical plaguing of the child is what feels unrealistic or yeah. feels like it doesn't work cuz like most of the time ghost children like in the grudge and stuff like that they make scary noises right they appear they've got like dark circles under their eyes oh yeah like they they're look very pale. they look pale and dead they're usually mad because Somebody forgot them in a water well or an attic or somewhere important. Um, But, like, very rarely do they visit, like, with physical violence. Like, usually it's more, like, spooky scares. (laughs) When the ghost kicks Sutherland in the nuts, I started laughing out loud. (laughs) It was so ridiculous. Like, oh, man. Um, I don't know. I think the biggest crime that this movie commits to me, is, like, I don't want to judge the movie on what it isn't, uh, but I couldn't help but think throughout the movie, like, okay, the whole point of flatlining is to go to the beyond. Right. And then you are going to be resuscitated and brought back to the realm of the living. Why isn't the antagonist of this movie some kind of ghost or demon or something from the beyond. Why is the antagonist... Oh, like Final Destination style? Like or, death is out to claim them? Yeah, I'm thinking like Insidious. Mm. Or, you know, like in Insidious, they're like, oh, your kid's got this gift. And he goes to this other world at night when he sleeps. He goes to this like beyond realm. And when he's in the mm. beyond realm, he attracts the spirit of demons who want to go to his body, which is now an empty vessel. Like, oh, that, yeah, that, that sounds great. That's really badass. But no, this movie isn't about like, oh, you meddled with something you shouldn't have. Now that something is going to come get you. This movie is, oh, you died and now your own personal demons are going to resurface for no reason. Until you say sorry. Until you say sorry, I <laughs> killed you by throwing rocks at you. <laughs> um, I don't think it's that easy <laughs> to get forgiveness. But I mean, Kevin Bacon just goes and apologizes. Well, yeah, he and has then the benefit of her being alive. To yeah, but even Julia Roberts apologizes to her, like she hugs her dad. And Actually, then that's the end? that was a twist because it wasn't that she needed forgiveness from him. Right. He needed forgiveness from her. But it's a it's a figment <laughs> of her imagination. <laughs> so it's not he doesn't get anything out of it anyway. It's always about mm-hmm. her. And then William uh, William Baldwin, his fiance, leaves him, and that's the end. So he he gets his comeuppance like he should, but then it's there's no resolution there. There's no right. No, we yeah we we don't really see that that William Baldwin learned anything. Right. So I didn't like the he fact he suffered consequences because he's such a slut. Like right. Like I just don't understand. He he was even trying to explain his motivations. <laughs> like he's like you don't right. understand. <laughs> like I need to do this. Like. Uh, yeah, I need these tapes later. <laughs> um, oh my god. But yeah, I just didn't like how all of the the conflict came from within the characters, which is kind of like, I mean, I guess screenwriting 101 type stuff is like, if you can have your conflict be within the character, you should find a way to do that. Like, your character needs internal conflict somewhere. Right, right. But 
I don't know. It just seemed like, why did they have to kill themselves in order for them to then be like, oh, stuff from our past is has really bad. I mean, they kind of name drop sins a little bit. Like, I agree. But there's yeah. there's no real religious overtone in the movie to make sinning a big, like a big, bad, ugly thing. It's just kind of like all of these characters had all of these issues with their past and dying had them dying had nothing to do with the fact that those things were oh they would have still needed to resolve those issues even if they'd never flatlined so i didn't like i didn't understand how this movie wanted to go with this sort of otherworldly ghost vibe but then totally punk out on that and just go like nope it's all within it's all in their heads it's just their own guilt it's their catholic guilt i feel like he would probably want it to seem more ambiguous than that but it wasn't ambiguous at all yeah um it was very clear that it's like you atone you you win whereas they didn't like i liked the helplessness of something like it follows where like yeah you did a bad thing or you slept with someone you shouldn't have but there is no way to atone. Right. There is no way to go back. Either you do something shitty to someone else yeah. or you die. And I I don't know, like, yeah, I like I I I think I prefer just more perverse horror visions of the afterlife, like right. Hellraiser or yeah. something, where like it's completely devoid of morality. But, and just completely perverse, like, is it heaven? Is it hell? Maybe it's both, you know? Like, right. You don't, you don't know. Or, like, yeah, like, even just, like, like something a little bit more lethal than a ghost child. Right. Or even, I mean, even, uh, like, Hellraiser in the after afterlife or, like, Constantine. I love the movie Constantine. Oh, yeah, yeah. They did a like good afterlife. how they envision the afterlife in there and hell and stuff. But the visions in this movie (laughs) like when Kiefer Sutherland dies in his very first vision is just kind of this like grass field I was like oh all right I mean you have to start the movie off kind of you know the first death has to kind of be a happy kind of thing because you know you don't want to start off and have it be like oh my god I went to hell right but there like there was no sense that the afterlife felt different or strange yeah or or like even interesting right like again like the collage of women that (laughs) jocelyn joe loved was really like okay and then it was like i think eventually it was just like boobs and butts and stuff just women's body parts um was pretty silly but of course like kevin bacon had the most spiritual one like where he's like soaring over Over snow-capped mountains and like wasn't there like even like a like a like a guitar theme too like i don't know know. (laughs) Um, yeah i don't know it's like this movie just felt like a huge missed opportunity in terms of what the villain or antagonist or what they were sort of fighting against was. I could have used some more villains coming from the school or the administration because it's like these five students are 
whatever, like they are definitely slacking off to go yeah. do some random ass shit at night, stealing medical supplies to huff nitrous and then and then make themselves flatline. Like Yeah. I, I would have liked to see some consequences from the school, but I guess by the beginning of the movie they'd already kicked Kevin Bacon out. Yeah. But like I didn't know that this was a thing in medical schools where a student gets kicked out for breaking the rules, but then Kiefer says to him, he's like, Oh, well they'll just invite you to come back next semester. Well, I don't think they would do that for normal students. They would do it for Kevin Bacon because Ah. he's so good at being a doctor. I didn't know this was the Bacon exception. Yeah. He (laughs) says he says something like, Your talents are too good to for them to not invest in you or something like that i didn't know that that was like something where like some people are just that exceptional at doctoring oh yeah kevin bacon's got a natural talent for it for sure Mm. yeah he saved that woman's life he did i i really appreciate it what did you think of his feathery hair in this movie oh it was great it was so it was when kevin bacon when they first (laughs) kill um Kiefer sutherland and they put him under and it's just julia roberts william baldwin and oliver platt and then, like, Kevin Bacon comes storming in, and he takes off his jacket, and his hair's flowing because he's walking so fast. <laughs> and then he's like, how long has he been under? And they're like, oh, it's only been a couple seconds. And, like, and he's like, all right, I'll take over from here. I'm like, fuck. That's when I texted Sony. I'm like, dude, Kevin Bacon is so cool. He is so cool. Like, <laughs> I, I definitely feel like they cast the right actor at the precise right, right. time to be the guy who's, like, the super doctor yeah because kevin bacon's the guy that they're like he can bring anyone back yeah and then when it's Kiefer's job to bring kevin back he acts like a shit yeah and he's like i don't know what i'm doing like he's like that like he's like that teenage boy who you like send to do like one chore (laughs) and then he's like oh i guess this is how you do laundry right (laughs) i don't know what i'm doing like he was such a shit right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um yeah so this movie like i said it's not it's not great, but it's not bad. There's a lot of cool stuff going on with the colors, colors in this oh, movie. A yeah. lot of cool color work going on. Lots of blues and reds and like the reds sort of creeping up into frame. And, oh, right. Or like Kiefer Sutherland's apartment. Yeah. That was a cool set. Or like with Julia Roberts and her memory, anytime they mm-hmm. like use the red light yeah. to indicate that she... How like creep in from the background. And, oh, yeah. Oh, that was and so that- cool. Like, like visually, the film looked really cool, mm-hmm. and it's like it, it kind of like reminded me a little bit of Boz Lerman. Like, yeah. and like, like he's got a really great aesthetic eye. And there was loves um, those big statues. Oh yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of really good camera work in this movie too. Where like the camera was swooping and swerving, and a lot of cool like one shot takes that weren't too flashy, but you know had enough of like kinetic energy to them to like sell the moment yeah like kinetic is a good way to describe it like again like i i agree with you like not a great movie but was it boring no Mm. it was never boring and like visually it looked great and for me like that's more important than whether or not the movie was good yeah every scene had a little bit of like pop to it or Mm -hmm. something to kind of make it stand out so Everything felt a little bit different and um, 
unique enough to kind of make this movie like you said it didn't feel very long so right and it was like an hour and 50 minutes it's mm-hmm. standard so i think we agree like it would have been better to lean into the horror elements right. make make that scarier at the end of the day there's really nothing supernatural about flatliners no which not really at all. bothers me it yeah. bothers me and i looked up the um the remake I watched the trailer on YouTube, and then I went to Wikipedia and sort of read the description Mm -hmm. for it. And it seems like the remake is pretty much the same exact movie. The same exact movie? Even down to him living at the end? Well, that I don't know. I think he is Ellen Page in this movie. So Kiefer Sutherland is replaced by Ellen Page. But um, it's the same movie in the sense that the characters kill themselves for longer and longer periods of time. And then when they come back, they're haunted by their past. And in order to stop the visions, they have to confront their own personal troubles. But Ellen Page is, is so, so sensitive. Like, yeah. I, I, this isn't a knock on her as an actor, but I feel like part of what made Nelson's character work is Kiefer Sutherland and his kind of devil-may-care right. attitude. And, like, he's charismatic but he's also dangerous and clearly like has a little bit of sociopathic tendencies and stuff like that and and he's very lively and that's just not the vibe that ellen page gives off she's more dry well did you ever see hard candy i love hard candy yeah she's she's got some spunk in that movie she's got a little bit of spunk in that movie she's got some edge but i feel like her wit's more like acerbic or like dry right than Kiefer sutherland which is he's a little more playful yeah you know yeah i don't know why the remake kind of fell to the wayside yeah Um, the trailer looks the same exact thing the trailer looks pretty pretty dumb Oh. But, um, well, there's one point in the trailer where, like, Ellen Page dies and then she comes back to life and she's playing the piano. And they're like, oh, how does she know how to play the piano? And one of the other characters is like, it's like her brain has been rewired. And it's like, all what? right. That's Wait. Kinda... So, in that version of Flatliners, they come back prodigy? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So, that's like the one thing that they changed, I guess, was they, they made the. They made the initial death experience kind of more of a superpower. Oh, man. Everybody has to have superpowers in the in the tens. Yeah. Um, but that that's annoying. What was I gonna say? I I lost my thought. But anyway, should we should we get into pitch time? Yeah, I'd love get to hear your... yours. Oh, so I again was concerned with the oath to do no harm, which was not used very readily (laughs) in Flatliners. There was a lot of harm done. A lot of harm done. So this movie is called The Oath, Mm -hmm. and it's weird. Uh, So act one, the Greek god Hermes is lounging on a couch watching the Steve Harvey show when his cell phone rings. And he says, hey, fates. And a voice answers, we've got four of them. Hermes says, perfect, and hangs up. Hermes then calls Hades. He tells Hades he needs some backup for a little side project. 
uh, the human world and explains because all doctors fall under his protection. That's right. Hermes is the god oh, of yeah. healing. The Caduceus, the you know the snake staff. That's mm-hmm. his. Um, Blue cross blue shield. Exactly, exactly. So all doctors fall under his protection. He makes sure that they take their oath to do no harm seriously. Four humans are in danger of breaking the oath and they need to learn their lesson or their Mm. medical work will never heal by Hermes law. Um, So Hades is like, that sounds fun. I can send a shade for each of them. We cut to the medical school hospital. What's a shade? Like a a ghost. Okay. These old shades. Um, But yeah, ghosts basically. Gotcha. Or figures. So we get to the medical school. Nelson is wandering around when he suddenly sees Billy Mahoney, the kid he picked on as a child. Whoa. And then another student, Rachel, she sees her dead dad. Uh, and then David Labraccio sees the little black girl he picked on as a child. And then Joe, he sees every woman he's ever slept sure. with. All 20,000 of them. <laughs> All 20,000 women. A whole crowd. So the foursome do not get along with their guardian angels well. Like we've right. got some real growing pains. They're trying to ignore them. They're running into issues, mostly stemming from people thinking they're acting and talking crazy to themselves. Um, and Hermes is really frustrated because the experiment is not working. So he decides he's going to intervene by disguising himself as another medical student, Randy Steckel. Okay. So instead of Oliver Platt just watching as his friends try to kill him themselves and saying, I don't think this is a good <laughs> idea, guys. Right. <laughs> that was just holy poor Oliver Platt is such a good actor. He was. And he was really good in this movie. <laughs> he was so he was so much better than the movie even deserved. Like right. I, I again, character actor Oliver Platt is <laughs> really just like hitting it out but like he didn't have anything to do so in this movie he has a per he has a purpose which is he's a god in disguise who's manipulating people um so hermes as randy gathers the group together and they begin talking about their shared experiences as part of a fake study kind of like the good place you know Mm -hmm. uh and so we're getting towards like act three the team seems like they're starting to do better and they're close to changing themselves. Um, they realize they need to ask for forgiveness from the people they hurt and continue to do no harm as doctors. There's just one problem. Oh, boy. David and Rachel are in love. Oh. And this makes Nelson super depressed. So one day, he doesn't show up to the meeting, and the group and their ghosts run to find him. And maybe the ghosts are like, they've got like a network, and they're helping each other. And they find him on a bridge. He's threatening to throw himself over the bridge. Mm. But then Rachel says, the oath means to do no harm to yourself, too. Oh, got him. And then Nelson steps back from that ledge, my friend. Uh, and the ghosts remind him that the afterlife is no place that he wants to be and decides that their mission is complete. And so the group watches as a chasm 
with a descending set of stairs opens in the middle of the concrete and Hermes and the ghost walk in because Hermes also helps guide people to the afterlife. Okay, he's, gotcha. he's got he's got double duties. Yeah, he's got a lot of duties. He he does. Like there's he's a, he's a multi-hyphenate, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, and that that is the end. So it's it's a bit of a fantasy. Sure. <laughs> but uh yeah, that's that's how I I flipped it. Gotcha. Yeah, I like it. I feel like we need more modern Greek mythology. Yeah, I like bringing the gods into um, and not having it be like Clash of the Titans. Right. No, yeah. I mean, I like I like Clash of the Titans, sure. too. Um, but yeah, I but feel to like... to see a lighter side of them. But yeah, and yeah. I mean, like, I feel like there's room for all religions. Like, you know, you, you could you could say that Hermes and Hades are working on behalf of, you know, a multi-religion organization. But I wanted to take the whole is there an afterlife thing off the table right. for my version. Yeah. Like let's let's not even bother with those questions. The whole point is that as doctors living in the here and now, mm-hmm. they need to do no harm. Gotcha. <laughs> instead of what they did, which is a yeah. lot of harmon. Yeah, you really focused on on that one aspect of. Well, I wanted them to learn a lesson that they didn't actually like. In I guess in Flatliners, the lesson was like get forgiveness or whatever. Right. But like, I wanted them to learn more of a lesson gotcha. in this one. Yeah, learning a lesson is always good. I feel like that's actually well. Learning a lesson is common in all movies, but I think learning lessons are particularly important in horror movies and rom-coms because in rom-coms, you need to learn a lesson to change as a person and grow and and earn Mm -hmm. a relationship. In horror movies, you need to change simply to survive and not die. Right. But learning lessons, I think, are really key to both. Yes, I agree. Um, I couldn't think of a title for mine yet again. Uh, I well, I had two titles. The first title I thought of, which was before I thought of my actual movie, was "Till Death Do Us Part." Oh, but then I'll, that doesn't really fit the movie that I ended up making. So the movie, I think, just Soulmates. Okay, is there a movie called Soulmates already? I mean, I'm sure there's Probably. like five along with yeah. the factory, but right. Yeah. Um, but for Soulmates, I have Nelson, who's a lovable loser. You know, he's very nerdy. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he works at the IT department at the hospital. Or yeah, something, so like he's still that. hospital adjacent, but he's not a doctor. Uh, and the movie opens, I'm thinking the movie opens with him at a funeral. And the way that it's shot and framed and everything, you think that it's Nelson's girlfriend or wife or whoever who died. But that's not the case. Oh. Uh, so Nelson, however, maybe like on his way back or something, he dies in a freak accident. I'm thinking like maybe there's a car accident or something and he goes to check to make sure that people are okay, but he's standing in a puddle of water and then another car almost hits the first car and like hits a power line and then the power, you know, like very final destination-y, you know, very Rube Goldberg type machine where um, like, you know, the car hits something, that something hits something and then a power line hits the puddle and then Nelson dies. So Nelson is dead. And while he's dead, Nelson meets the Braccio, his guardian angel. (gasps) Kevin Bacon's his guardian angel? Oh, yeah. But the problem is the Braccio's also kind of a loser himself, and he doesn't really know much about guiding Nelson to the afterlife. Uh. So they have to kind of like putz around and figure out how to do it together. 
And so what they decide is that because he wasn't brought straight to heaven, but he's in this kind of limbo afterlife, they decide that he must have unfinished business. And so that's why he can't proceed. So Nelson, so, you know, they start talking and whatnot. And Nelson reveals that his biggest regret is he never got to tell a woman that he loves her. So the Braccio takes Nelson back to his childhood so that he can tell his very first crush that he loves her. But, so, you know, like, there's this kind of, like, you know, reliving your life type mm, ass. Like, your, mm-hmm. your life flashes before your eyes. So I he like goes it. back to, like, being a kindergartner. And maybe he, there's, like, a kindergartner girl who he has a crush on. And, you know, we've got to, like, how, like, he's got to go through the the woes of being a kindergartner again. Like, everything, like, but he's too short for everything. But with the knowledge of an adult, right. Nelson. Right, right, right. It's so, like, everything is too short and maybe, like, someone picks him up and, you know, or whatever. It's nap time, so maybe he's got to take a little nap. But right before Nelson can, can, you know, approach his crush, he is revived and brought back to life by Dr. Rachel. <gasps> So, however, and Dr. Rachel just kind of, like, sends him on his way. He's like, wow, you got really lucky there. Good thing, you know, good thing I was here and stuff. But she sends him on his way. However, Nelson can't stop thinking about being dead and getting to say I love you to his crush. So Nelson kind of keeps, he doesn't commit suicide, but he keeps kind of, like, finding ways to die. Wait, he thinks he needs to die? Even though he got a second chance? Even though he got a second chance. What does Labraccio say about that? Well, so he he keeps dying, and I'll go through some of the ways he dies in here. I mean, he he does commit suicide, but he's kind of bad at it. So it's like all of his suicides are kind of like accidental or like really weird or strange. I believe that with Nelson. Right. Uh, So Labraccio keeps taking him on different adventures through his past. So like every time he dies and he goes back to his childhood, he gets a little bit older and over and over until Mm. we approach adulthood. Uh, But every time Nelson gets close to approaching his crush and working through the trials of his past, he's brought back to life by Dr. Rachel. So Dr. Rachel becomes fascinated with the fact that Nelson seems to have this unique ability to survive death. And she starts requesting to interview him. And the more she starts to interview him, the more intimate they get. Uh, and Florence the more, Nightingale effect. Yes. The but m- reverse Florence Nightingale because he's the patient. Right. So the more, like, at first their interviews are very kind of, like, colloquial and, you know, innocent. But then, like, maybe she asks him out to dinner to interview him and stuff like that. Over pasta. So uh, I thought of five different ways that he could die. And the first one is getting hit by a bus. The second one is maybe he's stung by a bee. So maybe he knows he's allergic to bees. And he gets stung by one bee and someone's like, he's like, oh no, I got stung by a bee. And someone's like, oh, it doesn't look that bad. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I'm allergic. And then he just drops over dead or something. Uh, One is like, he's at a restaurant and he chokes on food. Oh, nice. So I'm thinking maybe like. a date with Rachel? No, 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 not with Rachel. But he's at a restaurant and he starts eating food and he starts choking. So all the patrons start trying to help him by giving him the Heimlich maneuver. But he (laughs) wants to die. So he keeps trying to like fight them off while he's dying. That does sound really funny. Uh, One of them is maybe he's stabbed by a thief trying trying to help someone like in a in a dark yeah. alley a thief is trying to rob someone and he's like hey what's going on in here and the thief is like uh stab and the person's like oh no let me call an ambulance for you he's like no 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 no, no. i'll just <laughs> i'll sit this one out and he just dies uh, and then another one is maybe he's drowns trying to be eaten by a shark so Ew. i figure he goes into an aquarium he jumps in the shark tank but none of the sharks because you know sharks aren't just like mindless killing machines that eat 
every human they see. It's true. That's false news. Right. So the sharks are just kind of swimming around like, oh, there's a guy in here. Oh, well, we're sharks. We'll just keep swimming in circles. Uh, and then, like, while he's trying to get eaten by the shark, he accidentally drowns. So it's like, Of course oh. he does. Uh, so then on the very last visit, Labraccio starts to think something is wrong and that they need to focus on something else. Like, Labraccio over time is starting to get better at his job, but Nelson is just focused more on, on his crush. So Nelson and him fight, and, and Nelson runs away to go find his crush. And Nelson does finally find her, and he professes his love for her. And then, like, this big bright light shows up, and you think, like, whoa, what? this is the end of the movie. But just then, someone else shows up, and that person does the same thing. He says, hey, I love you. And she goes, oh, I love you, too. And it turns out <gasps> no. that those two people are soulmates. So Nelson feels rejected, and he just feels ready to die. Dr. Rachel's with someone else? No, the crush. Oh, the crush. The crush is with someone else. So just as as, um, Nelson is ready to die, a tunnel opens up, and Nelson starts going to the light. However, all of a sudden, Nelson hears Rachel begging him to come back. Um, And at first he doesn't want to, but he hears Rachel telling him all the wonderful reasons to live— and that she would like to do those things with him. Yes. So Nelson tries going back to her, but at this point, the tunnel light is sort of taking over and it's sucking him in. So Nelson's got to really fight for his life. And then he finally makes it out of the tunnel light back to uh, Rachel's voice. And he wakes up and Dr. Rachel is reviving him and they both confess their love for each other. But there's still one more thing that Nelson has to do. So Nelson asks Rachel to kill him, which she does, and then Nelson goes back to what? <laughs> Nelson goes back to the purgatory land, and he becomes he makes up with Labraccio and becomes his friend. And then Rachel revives him yet again, and they and the movie ends with both of them sort of like cuddling in a hospital bed, and Aww. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, my movie is just a guy dying over and over. And I over. like it. I I like that we both had nelson wanting to commit suicide right. but then you took it that extra step <laughs> to have him do it over and over again which i really mm-hmm. liked and i i feel like well i maybe i was maybe i was influenced by the grand seduction but i i let my romance element take a back seat to the right. family and learning whereas you put the romance back front and center with the plot being that he needs to say i love you right i like that i think that that is a good romp this you see this is another example you're a horror fan (laughs) but you do pitch some good rom-coms on this show yeah thank you i um I really am a big fan of that. Um, I don't know what the trope you would call it, but I'm a big fan, as I mentioned before, of that trope where like the main character thinks he should be with one person, but really it's the person in front of him all along that oh, he should be with. Oh, it's a classic. It's um, there's this meme online that's um, it's something like I hate cliches. And then the next line is movie is like, it's like a, a trope like that. And it's like instantly like, yeah. like, I love it. Like, <laughs> like you can say like, I hate cliches, but then something comes up like that. Like, Ooh, they're after someone, but the person they should be with is right there. Like count me in or yep. there's only one bed or the hero is grumpy, but he likes the sunshiny one. Right. Yeah, like it, it just it gets you. 
even though it's been done a million times before. But yeah, I I liked that a lot. All right. So I have a question. Who yeah? did you have a crush on in Flatline? Who did I have a crush on? I think the answer is very obvious. It's Kevin Bacon. Whoa. The hair, the attitude, the steely eyes. Yeah. He's a rebel. Like I was like I feel like in the in the eighties and early nineties, like they wanted like unique faces on the screen. Mm-hmm. Whereas like like I feel like like this is a pre-Taylor Kitsch age where right. like now leading men are just handsome or pretty. Yeah. Or nerdy. But like back in the eighties it's like, oh this kid's got an interesting face and he's got charisma. Like mm-hmm. I just yeah, like Kevin Bacon in this movie, it's like I get it. I get yeah. the bacon effect. Uh also I ended up I don't know if you did this, but I ended up looking up how many degrees to Kevin Bacon, Taylor Kitchen. Oh, and then also Brendan Gleason. Both of them have a bacon power of two. Okay. They are only two degrees separated from yeah. from bacon. That's not bad. Not That's bad not at shabby. all. Not at all. And one of them, I think Taylor Kitsch, is through Flatliners because he starred in a movie with Julia Roberts, and then uh, Julia Roberts yeah. was Flatliners. So very good. Yeah. What about you? Who do you have a little crush on? Um, I really liked Oliver Platt. Oh yeah, Oliver like, Platt is so good. His little tape recorder. His, yeah, he's um. He's a side character in this movie, but he doesn't really have like a quirky gimmick. I mean, I guess he's his tape only, recorder is is his only gimmick, but he's the only one who doesn't flatline. Right. But his line delivery on every single line is just pitch perfect. It really toes the line between like camp and gravitas. Like he really kind of finds the the middle ground there to make every scene kind of silly but also give it a little bit of weight. I know why you like Oliver Platt because he's like proto Loomis. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, he can't really be proto Loomis because Loomis was in the 70s and therefore right. is a precursor. But like, Oliver Platt is definitely going full Loomis as yeah, a doctor. Yeah, I could see if there was like a Flatliner sequel. Oh, he'd be. Loom- he would be. He would be full Loomis. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I can totally see why you were crushing on <laughs> Oliver Platt. That makes complete sense. For sure. All right. So you want to get into these love bites? Yeah, I would what do you love got to, to. What do you got to recommend for us today? Well, I watched a little movie called RoboCop. <laughs> have you seen robocop oh yeah dead or alive you're coming with me you're coming with me yeah it's uh what a great movie one of the most beautiful lips and chins ever yeah um what's um, his name peter weller yeah peter weller yeah like just yeah gorgeous gorgeous jaw yeah very iconic underneath that robocop visor um yeah i just i saw robocop it's a great movie um a lot of cool practical effects and i don't know it's just a really solid movie about a guy who turns into a robot and kills people good character actors too right mm-hmm. is oh, it yeah. um who else is in that movie i want to say ray wise but am i wrong or is ray wise just in a lot of 80s movies yeah i don't think ray wise is in that one there's somebody in the movie who's like a classic yelly character actor 
Uh, I forget his name, Kurt something, but the the dad from that '70s show. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He yes. was great in that movie. There's also, have you ever seen? There's um, there is a like a a skit or a sketch online where it's that scene where he's stopping the woman from getting assaulted. Um, and in the movie, does he shoot the guy in the dick? Yeah, in the movie, he shoots <laughs> through her dress and he shoots the uh, guy yeah, right he, in the dick. <laughs> right in the dick. <laughs> uh, and in this video, it's that scene, except there's multiple assaults going on at right. the same time. And so RoboCop keeps shooting guys in the yeah. dick. Isn't it like even other crimes start taking place that aren't sex related, but it keeps like Robocop just keeps shooting everyone in the dick? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great skit, and it's really gross because you see a lot of bloody dicks <laughs> flopping around. <laughs> I'm glad you've seen that too. Yeah. So yeah, only one dick is shot in the movie Robocop. Though. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's just a really cool idea, and I think uh, the movie really capitalizes on a lot of cool ideas, and it's very bombastic, and it's a cool movie. I also watched RoboCop 2, which I had seen before and had fond memories of, but uh, upon rewatching it, yeah, RoboCop 2 is kind of a mess. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see the, the new RoboCop? I did, but it's not. Good. Oh no! I mean, RoboCop bad. is so violent. The, the RoboCop Two is really violent too. It's got those two movies have a lot of really great squib work going on. Mm. Where every time RoboCop shoots someone, first of all, he's got that pose, right? Whereas his free hand kind of it's like he's riding a rodeo bull. His yeah, free hand yeah. sort of shoots up, and he's like wildly shooting around. But anytime he shoots a bad guy in this movie, there's got some good blood work going on. They call that squib effect? Squib, yeah. Squib is the, the effect of the blood coming out of the Oh, see, the I'm, you learned cinnamon roll. Cinnamon I, roll? I squib. learned squib. Yeah. You, could, you could make a squib out of cinnamon roll glaze. Yeah, you yeah. could totally do you that. Could. You just have to dye it red, right? Uh, well, I was thinking that the cinnamon roll glaze would be like if I shot you and cinnamon roll glaze flew out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Uh, uh, it'd be so. It'd be so. Uh, it smells so good too. Right. <laughs> um, well, how about you? What's your love bite? What have you been watching? So, um, not a movie that I've seen recently, but I want to watch again now that I've seen The Grand Seduction. Maybe this was my other reason for choosing this movie. Is so the actress who plays postmistress Kathleen, mm-hmm. her name is Leanne Bablablon or something like that. Blah, blah, blah. Balaban? Balaban, yeah. perhaps. Balaban, I think. I know because I looked it up because I thought maybe she was related to Bob Balaban. Oh. But she's not. She's not. No. Who, wait, Bob Balaban, that's, um, he's a character actor too, right? Yeah, he's in a lot of the Christopher Guest mockumentaries. Ah. Ugh. He's that sort of small quiet guy very dry i i think i know who you're talking about so so this actress was in another small town canadian movie whoa she's got a niche she has a niche uh but in this movie she gets to be the main character and has a lot more to do um but the name of this movie it's called new waterford girl 
Okay. And Leanne Balaban plays a girl named Mooney Potts, and she is an intelligent and artistic girl who no one understands, i.e. me. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, she's she lives, she's got a big mind, she's in a small town, she wants to get out, mm-hmm. and she realizes that there's a pattern that the only girls that tend to get out of their small Canadian town and go to the big city, New York in this case, are girls that get pregnant. And because it's a small Catholic town, they need to go to the big city and um, have their babies and come back. And so Mooney decides to hatch a scheme where it's kind of like small town Canada, easy A, where she decides to make the town think that she's a sleut and right. and then use this as a ploy to get sent to New York where she can go to art school. Right. And then gotcha. at the same time that this happens, a girl from New York moves to the town and then she and Mooney become friends. And this girl who's like the daughter of a boxer has this really great like punch and they have this whole thing going that her punch um, reveals the truth. So if you like are a bad person, her punch will knock you out. Sure. Or if you're a good person, it it won't. But like, it's like very, like, like very charming and like small towny. And then, uh, because it's, I think the movie was made in 90 something. It's got one of the, uh, the Brat Pack boys in it. He plays Mooney's English teacher. Um, but yeah, it's like, it, it's just a, it's a small town movie. It's really funny. It's coming of age. Uh, and I think that Liam Balaban is really, really good in it. Uh, right. And it's sad she didn't get a lot to do in The Grand Seduction because she is like, she's funny and she's a good actress and New Waterford Girl, it's just, it's funny. It's fun. Yeah, I'd never even heard of it. Oh, it's like a really, like, like, not a well-known movie like i think i saw it when i was a kid because a friend had told me about it and i was like this sounds great let's watch it and then we did and i bought it on dvd and that like that's the only way i knew it like i think i even had to go to like a specialty video rental store in dallas to find it (laughs) at the time that's funny um yeah New Waterford girl. New Waterford girl. Pretend to be pregnant, get (laughs) sent to New York. (laughs) Just, you know, as you do. Yeah, just girl things. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that is it for this prescribed (laughs) episode of necromancer i wish i had more doctor puns in the chamber but i i really don't oh i didn't come prepared i'm trying to think of one right now but my my brain is failing me all right well get well soon (laughs) that's all i can think of that's it for now until next time goodbye bye
Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.